Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Daily 302 Show. I am your host, Daniel McGurr. Pretty excited about today's show to have uh, welcome back, Patrick Byrne. And first time on the show, Tori from the Tori Says Show. How are you guys? Good, good. How are you, Daniel? Good to be on again. Hello, Tori. Hey, hey, everybody. And Daniel, I'm sorry we haven't made time to come on earlier. We've been talking for a while, so I, it's, it's on me. Well, you guys are both a lot busier than I am with, with all of the things you do. I mean, I've got a day job myself, but I mean, you guys are doing lots of things. And, and I think this is going to be a first time ever that you two have been on somebody else's show together. I mean, you guys do shows together all the time. That's probably right. Yeah, 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 it totally is. Patrick, we haven't been interviewed together by someone else ever. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. You guys seem to hang out a lot with each other. So, um, Patrick, you kind of get a pass on the first question because you've been on this show before. <laughs> so, okay. uh, normally what we do here, Tori, is I like to, to have the guests. And, and Tori, you have a massive following. You have a massive podcast. You do shows every day. So your audience knows who you are. Uh, this one's still kind of growing. Um, so we like to have our guests kind of give a little bit of a personal bio at like a kitchen table setting, who you are, where you grew up, some of the secretive things that you can, you can tell to the audience that we already know, but. Oh, and well, secretive. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> I was born and bred in New York, raised there in Manhattan. Um, I was a little bit of a nerd, <laughs> actually a big nerd. Uh, spent most of my summers in Europe uh, when school was out. And um, I decided after, you know, when I was able to convince my parents to sign the waiver to join uh, the military, I didn't swear in until after I was 18, though. I was in some program in, um, in Europe. And then I joined the Navy. And then once I got my first orders, I was recruited out of uniform duty. I don't know the detail. I don't remember. It was so long ago. Now I'm going to show my age. Um, but, you know, I thought it was kind of cool, you know, when they came to me and they were like, you know, maybe you'd serve another capacity. And I guess it was my affinity for languages and uh, pattern recognition. And uh, yeah. And then I just went into private contracting, I would say. And I've traveled all over the world. There's not a continent I haven't really set my foot on. I mean, I say I haven't been to Antarctica, but my foot has touched it, just never hung out there. Um, uh, you know, so I've been everywhere. I have two beautiful daughters. Uh, you know, as I said, I'm a self-proclaimed nerd. I think I'm funny. Um, I consider myself a whistleblower that's not protected. Uh, <laughs> I'm a victim of uh, and survivor of um, some you know, domestic violence, both direct and indirect. And um, I, I just don't a like rich what's and going storied on. Background. A rich and storied background, I think it's yeah. fair to say, Tori. Yeah, so. I think I've lived 100 lives. If I die today, no one's going to cry about mm -hmm. it. I've been everywhere. <laughs> They'll say she had a full life. She's good. You know, let's go on, Daniel. Let's go on. <laughs> okay. All right. So my yeah. next my next question, both of you. And I, I, Patrick, I've heard you say this a few times when you've introduced Tori, you know, at the reawaken event, you said it. And then I've heard you say it on a couple of her shows where you talk about the first time that you met. I want to know about both of them. More details about the first both of you, if you can give it. <laughs> and, then, and then the second time. 
Well, the first time that I met that I think of myself as meeting Tori, I met her. We were in, in a restaurant in Alexandria a week or two after the election. She was with some people. I was with some people. The people, somebody took me over to meet her people. Boom, boom, boom. So when I shook hands with her after looking at her for or listening to her for a few seconds, I said, gee, I've met you somewhere before, haven't I? And she actually turned away, didn't answer. I thought it was funny. But a few nights later, I saw her somewhere else. And she came up to me and said, you have met me. Uh, you were in such and such a restaurant in the fall of 2012. You were in West London in such and such a restaurant. You were with such and such a person, this woman. And you were my target, Patrick. And I was your waitress. And I know for a fact I was in that restaurant. This woman is a, is a well-known woman from the Middle East, or the daughter of a well-known person from the Middle East. And she... And I know I was in that restaurant in the fall of 2012. So I always thought that was funny that Tori knew that. Is that a fair summary, Tori? Yeah, well, for your recollection, probably because I spoke to you that time. There's been other times that I've been around Patrick uh, in different situations before that. Um, from his early days, even from his time as Overstock. <laughs> he started that look on his face. Did we ever sleep together or anything, Tori? See, you said that once in a meeting and everyone lost their mind and they all looked at me like, what? And I'm like, no, uh, no. Sure. Well, were, you, were you in disguise as a six foot Norwegian no. or something? No, usually I'd be in a hijab or, or sometimes as a man because, you know, women are more malleable in disguise like that. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been seeing Patrick for a very long time and usually people that we protect or monitor, um, uh, you know, they're usually sleaze bags. He wasn't. <laughs> well, I know Patrick's background. He I know he's, uh, he's a, he's a well-protected individual. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he likes the ladies. So, but he wasn't a sleaze bag. So that's, he, he was always a gentleman and he well, was always thorough. Like I, I knew <laughs> something was going to, we're going to hear it. Oh, I know. <laughs> Who doesn't like the ladies? Let's go ahead with something substantive, Daniel. We don't you don't have us forever. Yeah. So let's let's talk about politics. Yeah, let's move on to the election stuff. I want eventually I want to get to Hunter's laptop and I want to get to Ukraine and all that. But let's let's talk about current events with the election stuff. Uh, we've had some big things happen over the last few weeks with you know the Gaberman's report came out, um, all, the Halderman declaration came out. Lots of things are moving forward with Dinesh's movie. What can you guys tell us about all of this stuff going on and how we're winning? Ms. Maris, would you like to go first? Well, I could start on the Halderman if, if we if Wait, we Since can. you played such a key yeah. role in that. Yep. Yeah, well, hopefully we get the full report now. Um, just, it, we all know that there was a, a Halderman declaration from September of 2021 that was circulating that was seven pages long. And obviously, I, I I got in my I received in my possession the more lengthy one that was from August of 2021, but that wasn't publicized, right? It wasn't publicized at all. And once we received it, my lawyer was like, you know, we should use that to demonstrate to the court why it's imperative that we get the Halderman report because in there it talks about the patches that are needed for cots and that stuff in your affidavit, because the reason I'm subpoenaing Dr. Halderman for it is to validate my affidavit because I'm suing people for saying, you know, that, uh, you know, my uh, Sidney Powell's case was a dud because everyone was a liar and they cited me in her case and Lindell's. 
So now I'm calling them to the carpet. All individuals that said that it was BS. I'm like, all right, prove it now. So Dominion has to prove that my affidavit is wrong. And so does Media Matters and some guy named Akbar because they all came out in the public and said that it was fake. So now I'm going to ask him, show me. And in the meantime, I'm subpoenaing the right people to get the evidence that I need to prove that it is correct. So we've subpoenaed Dr. Halderman. Um, I did make that lengthy report public when I asked the courts in an unprecedented move within four hours after filing, the magistrate judge comes in and says, denied, you have to wait until discovery. And it was like, no, these subpoenas are excluded from discovery because they're not part of the parties. Um, What we have now is only like 25 pages and the real one's like like thousands of pages, right? Well, it's 25,000 words worth. So it's more analyzed. And what's imp- what's important in these declarations is I have a 24 page, uh, Victoria, I have the 24 page. It's called an expert rebuttal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what and I that's have. what he did last August. Correct. Correct. And that is so meaty because it shows all the failures that the other supposed experts had. I mean, that's, so just, that's just, just to explain it to the audience. He had his original declaration, which is evidently scorched earth. Tori claims that she may have been around it at some point, but it's there's the original declaration that was submitted to Judge Totenberg. Then Judge Totenberg had rebuttals. And last summer, and this actually had to do with turning the stuff over to the, to the uh, uh, CISA DHS. There were some rebuttals and he came out with an expert rebuttal to the rebuttals of his original report. And that's what's out there in the public is 24 pages. It's very meaty and substantive, of course, it's still not the original report, which we're all licking our tops for. But in the rebuttal to the people who criticize the original report, you get a lot of the you get a lot of the fireworks of the original report. The original was in 2018, right? 20. Yeah, 2018. They filed 20, the case. No, it was 2019, 2020, wasn't it? Well, 2017, the Donna Curling case started because they were trying to find if there was election theft with President Trump. That's when the case started. So he was pulled in 2018. So either 2018 and 2019, he filed that. Correct. So we, we're, I'm not sure which specific date he filed the, declar- the, the full report, but it's been ongoing and they were going to use it as ammunition if President Trump won the elections again in 2020. But, but because he didn't, she sealed the reports, which is so weird. It almost seems like it was a it was a backup plan or an option. It was a free option they had. If if Trump lost, they then unseal the report and use that to go after him. If he wins, they put on it, seal it. So yeah, uh, our, our judiciary has been. What, what's nice about what's going on is I spent 15 years trying to convince people from 05 forward how corrupt. Well, first I got how corrupt Wall Street was. And then in dealing with Washington to try to help with Wall Street corruption, I discovered how corrupt Washington was. That's sort of my life, 04 to 08. And it was sounded really surreal to people. I I couldn't even really tell people about too much about what had happened in those years because it was, people didn't believe it, that like the truth was suppressed and government officials were actually working for hedge funds rather than doing their job and things like that. People weren't cynical enough yet. But and I've spent sort of anyway, now everybody gets it. Everybody gets everybody gets the dice are loaded, as Leonard Cohen saying. Everybody gets that this whole I mean, anyone who's got a room temperature IQ or above gets that this entire society is corrupt. Everything's corrupt. 
the stuff tours going on, as just described, got one on the federal judiciary is corrupt. Federal judges will seal things to have one political effect and unseal them to have another political effect and on and on and on. It's turtles all the way down. Yeah. Well, at least we're seeing it all like more than half of America is seeing it now. Right. Right. Um, so let's move on to uh, Gableman stuff. Patrick, and if you could talk a little bit about what happened in Mesa County also when Tina Peters and... Uh, oh, my God. Is there. Gosh. Uh, uh, it's mind-blowing. So so what really happened is the Maricopa audit got going. Got people critiqued. The, everyone's, everyone's a critic. Maricopa audit got going, and, and it did a lot of things around this country that people forgot started happening because of the Maricopa audit. Well, one of the things was the grassroots movement started to get in other states started to get very hot. And in Wisconsin, the speaker, uh, speaker Voss, Robin Voss, is he speaker of the House or president of the Senate? Speaker of the House or president of the Senate? Um, I don't remember one of those. Yeah. He attempted to, he's an establishment rhino. He attempted to deflect that heat. Nobody wanted to see another Maricopa audit get going. 48 secretaries of state signed this letter that said, we never want to see another Maricopa audit. No one has explained to me quite what, what they mean by that or what they mean by a Maricopa audit. The citizens having a look at the election machine, nobody will explain what exactly it is that was so offensive. Anyway, this uh, in Wisconsin, they deflected it. So instead of an audit, we'll get someone to have an investigation. And the Senate had an office of special counsel developed created, and they took a retired establishment Wisconsin Supreme Court jurist named Michael Gableman. He'd retired a couple of years, like 2019. They took him and they said, would you, you know, eminently respectable establishment figure from Wisconsin, moderate Republican, no one could. So he takes it. He delivered, he took it last August. He delivered a preliminary report in like November, December of last year, where he said, there's a cover-up going on. These people are fighting me. And now he just came out a week ago with a scorched earth report that says, look, this Wisconsin's entire election was criminal on eight different dimensions of, of and the whole thing should never have been certified. And I think that the legislature should consider consider decertifying it. Well, all the press has been jumping on that last statement. Can it be decertified? And is he wrong to say, words, 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 as a way of avoiding the substance of the report? And the substance of the report is like, I think, eight levels of criminality or, or stuff, and including, it turns out the whole thing was run on a Wi-Fi network out of the hotel room of a Democrat activist paid by Mark Zuckerberg, who's sitting in his hotel room with a couple of hockey pucks running wireless networks, some secret, some not. And the whole election is actually running through not government officials, but through this guy is sitting in a hotel room in Green Bay on his laptop. And that Mark Zuckerberg's hundreds of millions of dollars effectively bribed numerous politicians around Wisconsin. And that should be treated as a bribe is another another finding in his report. So it's really explosive. And the press's inability to deal with it is they just can't deal with it. You know, all they can address is this last part where he says it is so bad that they should consider decertifying. He's very clear to say it absolutely should never have been certified. It's there's way too much gunk in it. 
So they 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 picked up that one last point, but they won't. They're not talking really about the rest of his findings, except Tucker Carlson had a nice long interview and put four minutes of it on his mainstream show of a red letter date. Did you catch that, Daniel? I because yeah, I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. Because this is all you know. This is all verboten. This is all thought crime as far as the mainstream media is concerned. And yet Tucker Carlson went stepped up and he put Daniel Mike Gableman on his Michael Gableman on his show for four minutes to to explain what a crap fest the Wisconsin election was and how there was a guy sitting there, a private citizen working for a Democrat NGO, sitting in a hotel room with a laptop that actually was managing the whole managing the wireless networks and everything. I mean, this is also wildly illegal. It's so off the charts illegal. Uh, you don't even know where to begin, really. But other than to say the whole election, the whole election, as I've been saying, and Tori and I have been saying since we got to know each other around November 10, 2020, is there is no way, if you really, if God gave me $100 billion and a million years, I could not tell you what really happened in this election. It was so scrambled. It's a scrambled egg. It's a, it's it's a omelet, and there's nowhere to unscramble the omelet. It's just so messed up. Well, and you read the first page of the Gableman report, it will tell you why. Yeah, I mean, I want to give credit to both of you guys because I think once once 2020 happened, I mean, you two have been at the very beginning of this thing and trying to wake people up. Um, Tori, that's how I got connected with my local Kansas group was through your Kansas group here, um, that we've been doing things here. And I, I mean, it's, you guys have been instrumental in exposing this stuff, waking people up and not really giving a crap on who's first on anything, just providing accurate information. And that's, that's really all I care about is, is the truth to these things. You know, I judge people in this movement by how much they're trying to be like, how ego-driven they are. The two least ego-driven people I know in it are Tori and Mike Flynn, who are in it completely. They never are caring about anything other than what's best for the country. And other people in it spend a lot of time running down other people in the movement and looking for, you know, picking of nits uh, and pedophagy and stuff, trying to find things to fight about. Uh, The two people who've never cared anything about credit and have done the most are General Mike Flynn and Tory. I agree. That's probably why they give us the most crap. I mean, I'm minding my own business, doing my thing. (laughs) And everyone just has something to say about me like they know me. And, you know, it bothers. I'm pretty sure it bothers General Flynn. It bothers me sometimes. Times, right? And I'm thinking, you know, if you actually claim that you're for America, why aren't you reporting all these things? Like, oh, it, bo- it bothers know? him. It bothers him whenever he sees ego. I mean, he gets frustrated whenever he sees someone come by the America Project or something going on that we're involved in. And you can tell someone is acting out of ego. He gets really mad and scolds them sometimes and says, look, we're trying to save our republic here. That may be gone. we got to stop thinking of ourselves and we have to focus on the mission, which seems like healthy advice. No, no. Yeah, it does. Because I get criticized, too. You didn't do you didn't get the report. You only got the declaration that's longer. And it's like, what have you done? Well, how are you criticizing me when you're doing absolutely nothing? I mean, it makes no sense when I see these things. And I'm just like, this is insane. All they do is like share stuff and push these weird theories. And Some guy sitting at home eating Cheetos and his lazy boy yeah. is <laughs> writing stuff about, well, you only got the Halderman 
expert rebuttal to the rebuttal to his declaration. You haven't gotten the declaration itself yet. Is, isn't that what people are criticizing you for now, Terry? Exactly. exactly. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No one ever saw that publicly ever. And in that rebuttal, it tells you what their excuses are and how he slams it down. It tells you all the meat of his report. I mean, you really don't even need the report with those two declarations. You know what he's talking about. You know about the hacking. You could see how foreign interference happens. I mean, he raises some really good points, but that that's that's true. A lot of people just what are you, what are they doing? It's like what are they doing? What are they doing? I don't mind that that basically I'm working seven days a week on this. I don't mind. I mean, I you know I was kind of set up for life. I could be on a beach enjoying mojitos and lots of other ways, and instead, this is what Tori and I are doing with our lives and dozens of other people. And it is funny. And, you know, Mike Flynn, Mike Flynn could be one of those generals who goes to Wall Street and is the vice chairman, some rainmaker making millions of dollars. Instead, he's schlepping around the country trying to keep this movement. Uh, you know, he schlepped around the country helping keep this movement alive until it started catching fire itself. And, and, and it Flynn, he, he cares more about other things, too, within this movement. Like, I, I got a personal invitation from him and Clay to go to a podcaster's event that they're putting on because they care that much about people like me that want the, this real information to get out there, you know, against mainstream media and all that kind of stuff. And people don't know these kind of things that he does. I mean, it's it's this guy works 20 hours a day. You got a first-rate mind from military intelligence working 20 hours a day trying to keep this republic from being overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, and he's very sophisticated, very sophisticated mind and thinker and such. So people have no idea. You know, somebody should at some point, before the bad guys normalize it all or try to flush it down the memory hole, somebody should, should make a record of all the threats that they came, that they that we experienced in 2021. They came in letting us know it was a new world, and they let us know that within 100 days they were going to change the country by federalizing election law, legalizing 25 million undocumented Democratic voters, and packing the Supreme Court. So they came in like a bunch of goons, saying everything's on the table. We're going to completely, you know, they knew they had stolen the election, and they came in like a bunch of goons doing this so that it would be locked in forever and also talking about sedition laws that would make it illegal to say the kinds of stuff that the three of us are saying now. I even had John Brennan go on TV and heard him say they need to round up not just Republicans, but some libertarians. He meant me. John Brennan wants them to round up me, probably after you, Tori. Uh, so people forget. You know, Justin, Justin Trudeau, do you remember him last October saying they, they had something really big planned for this winter. Justin Trudeau, you know, I think that we defeated it, but Justin Trudeau came in October was saying stuff about we have to start thinking about how long we're we going to tolerate having these kinds of people around us. Real Nazi type language that just passed. And then Biden in December was saying we're entering a winter of darkness and for you unvaccinated darkness and death and despair and such. Really crazy language was being used now because they never thought they were going to have to see another election. They came in like goons and thought they had they had taken over. 
and they were trying to scare us. Now they're at the point they realize they're not going to be able to pull it off in the next 34 weeks. So they're trying to be normal again. I hope somebody will go through 2021 and never let them make a, let make us forget the crazy tone that they use. I've never seen in all my life in politics that they came in with, which was the signal that this is a new America and none of the old rules worked. All, you know what I mean? Well, he's still out there. He just last week talking about the new world order. And it's like right out in people's faces now. It's no longer a conspiracy, right? I mean, who is, who is Biden? Biden was. Biden was wherever he was over in Europe. He comes out and says it's a new world order and America's got to lead it and all this other. I mean, it's no longer conspiracy theories anymore. Yeah. When Bush said it, everyone said it was a conspiracy theory. Yeah. When Obama said it, it was a conspiracy theory. Like how many times do they have to tell you? Before you realize, hey, they're telling you, <laughs> I mean, they're just repeating it. It, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, they said it. It's a conspiracy. Then the next president says it. And then the next one, the only one that didn't say it is President Trump. Yeah. But one thing he did say, I'd like to point out, is that the reason these radical globalist I don't even want to call them lefties like they're so far left. They've fallen off the cliff. They don't even know where they sit anymore. They're in like this black hole. What he said was the reason that they're so loud is because they stick together. And what we see in the pro-America, pro-constitutional values, pro, uh, you know, freedom movement is that people are eating each other alive. You know, you, 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 you like you said, Daniel, it's who comes out first, who does this, who does that. It's, it shouldn't be. It should be about, like, you know what? I don't like this person, but that person's doing something good. So I should report it so other people can do that good. Oh, I don't like General Flynn because he said this and suddenly he's, he's, he's got horns and a spiked tail. But everything else he does is discounted because of that. And, and I don't like Patrick Byrne because Patrick Byrne came out and had a thought experiment with all these people that aren't there for philosophical conversations. So he's this. You know, and they put him in a box and then they're just, dis, you know, totally um, uh, eradicating the work. Yeah. And and then they're creating these factions when we should be united. And it makes no sense because yeah, they don't, don't like someone. My way of handling it is not paying any attention to it. But I do know that people are always asking me about all these factions and sex and people springing up and saying this and saying that about each other. It sounds like Peyton Place. I don't know why people focus on that rather than the mission. Well, I mean, I, I can go ahead sorry no go ahead no i was just gonna say he's right and and i'm seeing all these weird you know disinformation campaigns that are on too tons of them yeah well and that's what i was gonna say is like i i've made since i started this show i i believe i made one mistake with one guest um not gonna say who it is but once i figured out i made that mistake and had bad judgment as i pulled it from the site I, I removed it from all of my social media and I, I, I do not talk to this person anymore because I, I mean, I, I have a day job guys. I mean, this is, this isn't what I do. I don't make money from this. I don't, I just want people to be awake and to know what's happening in the country so we could save it. I have two sons. Uh, hopefully I'm going to have grandchildren someday. Right. So, I mean, we, we want this thing to get back to normal. So that's what I don't want to focus on being, you know, a, a news outlet. I want to be an educator, right? So that's that's why I I'm very very careful on who I contact and who I put on the show. And you guys are two people that I know that I can trust with real information. Um, 
and you guys allow me to bug you when I need to and to get information. So I appreciate that. I like being in contact with you, Daniel. You've always seemed very earnest. I appreciate that. Yeah. And the thing is, we don't know everything. We just know what we know. Right. Right. And an educator, I love that. That's exactly what people that opine should be doing. You know, they opine on things, but they reflect. And, and that's what I do with my audience, too. We revisit history. We look at where the gaps are and we arm ourselves with knowledge. I mean, that's the best weapon, especially in the age of disinformation and deception, right? Yeah. And that's kind of how my, my journey with this started. I think I've told Patrick this before, but um, my side gig prior to this was I had I had my own ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm Messianic Jewish and I would, I would travel around the country and teach people, you know, about the Bible, the, the historical Shalom. Shalom, yeah. you're Messianic Jew. I did not know that. I don't. I don't. We talked about that. I, I, sorry, I met, I've met so many. Well, that's wonderful. I have great respect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I would go around and I would travel, you know, outside of my day job. And then my wife and I, we led a small congregation here. And then March 16th. The first, on the phone, the first time we talked, maybe you, we talked about that. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yep. That's and uh, yeah, so March 16th. 2020 happened, which is when I got sent home from my job to work from home uh, because of COVID. And that day, I started researching all sorts of things, right? And realized that the reality that I thought I was living in was no was not even close to being the correct worldview. And that's why I think that you know God kind of drove me into this aspect of my journey. So this is what I'm focused on now. And you, like I said, both of you two have been a part of of that. So. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. And I'm thank a historical. You. I'm a historical Christian, so I get you. I get you. Uh, and I actually What's a historical Christian, Tori. You mean you're Greek Orthodox? No. Well, no. They call it Greek Orthodox. I'm like historical Christian. I go by the old calendar. Um, I'm proper historical Christian. Uh, the OG of Christianity. Well, I actually, yeah, I grew up Ukrainian Orthodox. So I used to, when I grew up, we we had that same calendar that you're on, Tori. Yeah. So I, even the Greeks, they have a new calendar, Orthodox and old. And, um, you know, I, I identify more with the Coptics than anything with the Coptics. Uh, That's and, old. That is the OG Christian, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Copt. Yeah. I like to go to the Coptic churches more. How are they doing in Egypt these days? There was a point we were getting worried about them. Are they, are they safe in Egypt or have they? Uh, so weird. You said that oh my gosh so check this out you know where i was staying in tampa there was a coptic um a man sitting outside where i was having a cigarette he was a driver and he just said i see you and i was like well, i guess he was a listener and he showed me his cross tattoo on his wrist and he said you know we're 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 bigger than people understand um down in the middle east and that's actually a threat so he was telling me what was going on there he was just there actually and that was quite fascinating how he just started up a conversation while he's waiting for whoever he was picking up from, you know, who was having a conference at in Tampa this weekend, BOMA, one of the leading data mining pro, uh, social profile. It was quite interesting to sneak into those. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, is that why so you were yeah. <laughs> Switch my hotels last minute. I mean, why not? You walk in and you listen to some fun stuff, right? right. Workation. That's funny. All right, guys, here comes the next hot topic. And I'm going to throw my two cents in, but I know that I've already had people contact me and want to hear you guys' point of view on this. Um, 
So Hunter's laptop. Um, Garrett Ziegler is a friend of mine. He and I, we text often. He's been on my show. I don't yeah. know Jack Maxey. I've, I've reached out to Jack a few times, um, but I've never had a conversation with him. Um, I've seen the recent interviews. I've seen Tori, you holding up the copy of it at the reawaken event. Um, what, I mean, what, what else can you tell us about this? I know that Patrick, you, you put out another video with, with Ann saying that there's like 400,000 more recovered files. Yeah. on thing. The, I'm going to turn it over to Tor to talk, but I really want to talk about the substance of the laptop. I'm not so interested in that. There's been some reason who's, who struck down with Maxi that Tori may want to address. Right. But. Look, 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 let's just talk quickly about the laptop. Back in Good. 2020, yeah, when we were in D.C., Patrick, we were in the same room and we were all with 75 and 25 kind of analyzing, right, right. Um, with Mike. And there was a copy, like you said, on Mega and Z that a few of us had access to. Then it was that copy that, you know, we were parsing through that Sydney wanted to be a part of, but then she didn't. This It's a really complicated it feels like it's who got it first. BS. Yeah, um, people are worried too much about that. I see in, Je- in Maxi a little bit too much ego about. Wait, wait, wait. Here's something funny. Guess who's guess who's writing the stories or pitching the stories for Jack Maxi right now? I want yeah. you to take a wild guess. Who was the person that was working on the election stuff? And I said they're a plant and they're feeding back information. Well, Alexander. No, the guy that was working on the team and you caught the and I told you that he peacocked to me, Sam Faddis. Sam Faddis is now funneling right the information for Jack Maxey into the into the mainstream media. That tells you everything you need to know right there, right? Well, he's huh. agency and his uh, oh. his wife, Gina, is a character in my book. I don't mention her by name, but she's one of the characters in my book that I don't mention by name. You can read my book and guess which one she Take was her down. I would, but she's one of the characters who turns out not to turn out not to be trustworthy uh, or so. Yeah. But if you remember, but we ended up stopping trusting her, who knows what the truth of it all is, but she was no longer trusted in our circle. Um, uh, yeah. The, the, the substance uh, of the laptop, let, let's talk about that. And then we can get to the, what say about the, 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 the handover stuff. Jack Maxey made a lot of claims. Okay. Guys, a lot of claims said Mike stole the copy. Listen, when oh, after, now Mike Camarco you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah. So after Rudy Giuliani's home was raided, the mayor's home was raided, he had some drives, but they were like BS drives, you know, WD drives, right? And they were all knocked about. And so what happened was Jack Maxey had called Todd Wood and told him, oh, I found some information and I'm worried about it. And so he was in New York. So um, at that point, Mike Tremarco was like, hey, Tori's in town. She'll come with one of her people and they'll piece it back together. They'll bring their copies. So I had about three different versions of it in data files, right? Tried to piece together. One of his drives were completely dead. The other one was a hot mess. And I sat there all day, bought a brand new Apple laptop for the mayor and rebuilt an image. So if you open it, it looks like it's Hunter Biden's laptop. Like I have one of the most pristine copies there are out there. Um, I actually handed it over to seven. 75 at one point. So that's exactly what happened. No one stole anything. I rebuilt the computer and I put it in there. I was on that from way before then, though. And let me let me corroborate this. So I talked to Mike Tremarco, who was there, who's Rudy's client. Rudy has two clients. Don, at the time, he had two. Donald Trump and Mike Tremarco, a businessman. 
fine guy. Mike Tremar, Rudy had gotten the laptop. Rudy and his lawyer, Bob Costello, got the laptop from the guy in Delaware who got tired of waiting for the feds. And he took it and he had, I guess, was legally took it to Bob Costello and Rudy. Rudy brought in his other client, Mike Tremarco, to analyze it. Mike Tremarco is so he's there and he tells me everything. This is October of 2020. And then he tells me everything Tory is his confirmed is he has confirmed to me everything Tory just said that in April or May of last year, after Rudy got raided by the FBI and some of the, the some of the hard drives weren't working, he had Tory come over there. Rudy and Tory are friends, and Tory came over with one of her IT guys and they got the things working. And in the process, she went out and got a virgin laptop that she she rebuilt Hunter Biden's from these hard drives. She had so there were really different versions. There was Jack Maxey's version, which had some stuff. There was the Mega Mega version, which Mega is a big public drive in New Zealand. Yep. And then there was the version that Tori had and got them all together and made sort of a perfect master version. Uh, and that's all she did. And but Jack, yeah. Jack is misrepresenting that. It seemed to me. But let's get off the unimportant stuff. Yeah, which is yeah well, it, well, it, well it, it, it's kind of important because he's making allegations, right? He's making allegations that Mike stole a copy. And yeah, it's false. Mike, yeah. Mike, that's totally bullshit. That, that's what bothered me about Jack. What he was saying, he he's a guy who takes two plus two and jumps to 13. He keeps getting ahead of what the data is that he has. And as a guy who was intimately involved with many of the things I was talking about, I mean, I, he was talking about, I can tell you, he is frequently, he says a fact that's correct and another fact that correct, that's correct. And then says, so I guess this, and that thing he's guessing isn't correct. And he's just way in front of his headlights. It seems well, uh, like to me that he was know, trying to get this out because of Garrett's report before Garrett's report come he's out. Jealous about beating Garrett, and but he's doing something different than Garrett. What what Jack is trying to get out is the as many pictures as he can of Hunter getting blowjobs from young Chinese hookers, uh, and a young other young women who may turn out to be they're very young. Part of my part of my Irish. Um, and they may not all be Chinese, so, uh, and some may be people who turn out to have recognizable names. Who knows? Uh, he's focusing on that. What, what Garrett is doing is building sort of a monster indictment, a 500-page complete exploitation of Hunter Biden's laptop. So it's two quite different tasks, and Jack wants to be the first with everything. But until recent, until last night, that's what he was focused on. Now, I, I applaud what Jack's doing. And he came out with some devastating, I don't know if it's been picked up anywhere in the press yet. He came out yesterday with something devastating, which is Hunter Biden had two top end DOD encryption keys. And normally encryption keys are set to wait, expire. Wait. Go ahead. Tori? No, I want to say something. Yeah, those were his. They weren't that. Look, 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 I wanted to dispel that. See, this is what we have a problem with. I, me and 25 knew the same thing with all those hashes in there, right? And we discussed it and it was him logging on for travel stuff. Yes, it's a national security issue because it shows the back end of individual users and how they get in. And then that way they can build on spoofing, right? By getting mm -hmm. in there. 
but it's not about national security secrets. It doesn't even go through that hoop. So it's exaggerated. And that's a problem too, oh. because when we discovered that, yeah, because I've been going through a million hashes that were in there myself. Remember, I, I actually created his phone and it was him trying to get travel. So it's over exaggerated. Just like I think the Metabiota lab thing is also exaggerated. How can that be exaggerated? Tell me what well, you because because, well, I haven't completed my research into it, but I was looking into Project Snowflake and some other medical companies that they were using for genetic stuff and, and that they were investing in. That's what I found that was compelling. The Metabiota, I don't know if it's after they left that, so I can't speak 100% to it. But if I would have seen any, you know, shenanigans with you know, that bioweapons research, I would have been all over that. So there's something called Project Snowflake that kind of marries into uh, this other company. And I don't remember the name off the top of my head. I think it's called Synergy. I, I, I may be wrong completely, but, you know, I didn't see that. So I find it premature and immature to put something out when it's not in full. And like you said, Garrett is creating a monster report. He's going to do something like Mueller did. He's citing and sourcing everything. He's making phone calls. He's getting things professionally translated. Uh, he's getting yeah. things done by the book so it can be used for indictments. And for me, I'm just reporting things that I know some people look at and they can pull some really good information, you know, things that are important, like national security. Jack is doing good work and I'm glad he's doing what he's done. And the stuff he's released has been this week has been very good. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad he's doing good work, but he seems to be ego driven. When I look at his interview and how he went off on Garrett, he seems to just be a guy who's driven on ego. And, you know, it's kind of my first filter. They usually don't come to much or they don't come to, they don't amount to as much as they could amount to if they're being driven by ego. How about we all focus on, we really all share a mission here. We believe our Republic. If you're like me, you think that the tombstone on our Republic is going to be 1776 to 2022, unless we, you know, or maybe 2020 is when they'll date it to the, the collapse of the dirty election, unless we, unless we expose things legally and peacefully. Uh, and that's all I care about. That's all Mike Finn cares about. Neither of us want to be doing this. Tori, I'm sure, has lots of other things she could be on. Uh, but the people who come to the, to the party and instead of trying to bring something to the party, they're trying to claim credit and, and throw ratchets into other people's spokes and such, like Kelly's trying to do. Why is he going after Garrett Ziegler, Tori, and Mike Tremarco? Now, so, and I will tell you, I don't want to get into the Peyton Place stuff, but he made another claim about Mike, about it that Mike told me is just a flat lie. Mike Mike Tremarco told me that when when uh, Tori came up with her computer, she, her version had some things on it, some texts and emails of Hunter's that weren't on the others, and that Mike Tremarco says Tori has her version has some emails and texts that aren't on the others. You can't believe this wild shit she's finding. Mike, uh, and that, that that's, he swears to me, that's what he said. If you look at that guy, Jack's interview the other day, he says that Mike Tremarco called him, this is May of last year, and said, Tori's using her, the laptop 
to illegally access Hunter Biden's checking accounts, and you can't believe the crazy information she's finding. And Jack said, I told I told him that the FBI should be banging down her door because that's unethical, this and that. Tremarco tells me that's all fabrication. That's all total fabrication. I'm sure Tori will come. Yeah, yeah, and I can tell you what he told him. What happened was, and I I, I don't mind saying this, is that um, uh, his phone had tiles and they would ping. And I had someone that worked for me in California uh, and has worked for me in other capacities that happened to be at a whorehouse that um, Hunter Biden was a few years ago. And he had houses in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> there are. They're nice little houses where you go to like brothels, illegal ones, very elitish. Um, and um, he had left his phone. Yeah, he left his phone or his laptop, not his his iPad or his phone there. I don't remember. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, maybe she could replicate it. But then I thought, I don't want to get her in trouble. She shouldn't do something illegal. So I said to her, can you find out the list of the pimps hookers that um, uh, Hunter Biden uses most often? And he would pimp this pimp had connections all across the U.S., So I looked at the frequencies of him ordering certain girls and I noticed that he picked specific girls during holidays like Easter time, September time, Thanksgiving and New Year's. So I actually paid his prime hooker a lot of money and I was telling her, I know you've been with Hunter for a while and I feel bad for him. Here's some money. All I want you to do is tell him this all goes away if they accidentally forget some information somewhere, either at a hotel. But if you're going to leave a device with evidence, you should take it to like a Best Buy. You know, tell him that he can free himself from this prison if he just leaves things. Right. And so he So that is the conversation I had with Mike a long time ago where I told him that's how I knew that Hunter was going around and he had information because they looked at the stuff and there was a ton of text and everything that was coming in and on his laptop there's receipts from him logging into his own dad's cash app to send himself money and at that point i realized damn this boy is captive of his dad he makes all this money and he's begging him for a thousand dollars eight hundred dollars for so who's in charge yeah if you uh, like i've sat and studied this whole thing that's why i don't put out a lot of articles he i feel in a sense, I know he's done atrocious things, but in, in the bottom line, he's trapped. He's making oh, all no, this money. I do feel sorry for the guy. I do feel I sorry. Do, for I do. I do. And actually, have you read her diary? Like it breaks your heart talking about her father touching her when she was young. Like this and is real stuff. guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So no matter. Yeah. So no matter what, you know, people might say that he's horrible. We have to remember that they're, you know, they're suffering, too, in a sense. Right. In, oh, in, in their sin. Yeah. So I I tried to do my best and to bring clarity in and some truth to convince the hookers to keep talking to him until he does it. And it was on New Year's of 2019 that he was finally convinced. And this is also demonstrated from the emails because after um, and text after his hooker binge and drug binge during the New Year time, he sat down and said, yeah, no, he was over on the East Coast, Pennsylvania and um, 
uh, Delaware. But it, this hooker was with him throughout that whole time. She sat down and. Yeah, yeah, okay. I I mean, I'm from New York. I mean, what do I say? Prostitute or do I say call girl? Call girl. There we go. That's nicer, right? Call girl. Because she is kind of hot and she's really nice. She's really nice, too. Um, I hear that the feds rolled up on her. So the New York Times might already have the The New York Times knows this. The New York Times knows this story that Tori was the one who got the call girl to whisper sweet nothings and hunter's ears about liberating himself by deliberately forgetting his computer somewhere so if you've heard that yeah i just wanted to say you could see it in the text though patrick and daniel in the text he's communicating with his family saying i'm done I'm, i'm out of here i'm checking out i'm just i'm over this we're not doing i'm not doing this anymore and they were like i'm sorry you feel this way and he and ashley colluded it I mean, what are the odds that he drops off the laptop and Ashley's texting him? Did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? Okay, like I did. I did my part, which is to bring the truth into the light in, you know, more correct ways. You do the right thing. When did Ashley lose her diary at somebody's house? When did she lose her diary versus when Hunter dropped Uh, it? It was months after Hunter dropped off the laptop because she had a writer diary. Months after it, she started writing her diary. If you notice, Hunter and her were having a conversation since 2019. She started it. And then in March, she told him she's so proud of him because he had dropped it off. So, you know, that was really exciting. Um, Another thing. of Wait, but you go too quickly. So Ashley congratulated Hunter for having had the courage to drop off his computer because she knew that he was dropping it off with the idea that it would get out there into the world. Correct. And she was doing the same thing by writing her diary and decided to drop it off afterwards. I mean, the storyline is there if you have the patience to read it. And that's why the copy that I built was created in such a way that you can read it as a storyline rather than just a bunch of random emails. And you find the threads and, and look Daniel, through it. You want, it's, it's, you wanted to, Daniel, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean... How much of this is actually tied to Ukraine and all that stuff that's going on over there now? I'm I've got a Ukrainian background, and even though I don't follow that lifestyle, this has caused me to kind of look into that and to dive deeper into what's going on. And I and there's this like mass disinformation campaign about all of that, and I'm wondering how much of this can be is on this laptop. If you guys can talk about that, I don't well, know. Well, okay, so Ukraine is 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 a is a hotbed. Okay, it could have been Latvia, it could have been you know Poland, right? They were just a vulnerable nation that was hot of high interest because of their high natural gas resources that they own that they have. So the EU and the U.S. had a lot of interest in that piece of land. Right. And so the EU targeted them by uh, putting them in extreme debt. I mean, people talk about Greece and Spain being in debt to the EU. The Ukraine has like 10 times more. Like if they were going to be paying their debt off to the EU and the IMF, uh, you know, it would be a thousand years later if they don't accumulate more that they could pay it off. I mean, right now, the Germany owns the whole in every Ukrainian's underwear. That's how bad it is. Um So it was a hotbed of corruption and ability for people to create these exploitations of the area there in different facets from arms dealings. Right. And you know what? You know, can we talk about shit for a second? 
right? I've written so many articles about Schiff and his Ukrainian thing. You know, Schiff has given so many contracts to Ukrainian, uh, to, to Ukraine throughout the years. It's insane. I mean, even with the weapons, you know, uh, when we were giving him money to create like M16s, if I'm not mistaken, he gave it to a guy that did blimps for a living, had no experience in arms weaponry. And it, that was 75 million. He gave this blimp guy $75 million of our taxpayer to think about blimps, not even come out with anything. If people actually look at the stuff that I put out on Schiff and his relationship with Ukraine, you lose your mind. This is why this watermelon head is coming out with all this BS right now, right? About Ukraine, because he's going down. He's given, you know, at least half a billion U.S. federal taxpayer dollars over a 10 year period to Ukraine for stuff that never manifested. Right. Um, from that perspective. So that's just not just Hunter. It's all of them, you know, and it's quite interesting how Obama appointed Joe to run both China and Ukraine. You have to think about that for a second. Yeah. Right. You have to take a sit and, and think about that for a second, why he was running point, why he was blackmailing government officials on TV and no one thought anything of it. How we fixed their elections in 2014 and nobody talks about it. We paid for that fixing of elections. It's in my affidavit. In April of 2014, we gave them money and employees to run their elections, which, an, you know, which then they got the guy that Biden wanted in. I mean, and as I recall, is it the case that in the Ukrainian elections in 2014, uh, what month was it? December? What, what, when did they May, occur? May, May, May. May um, May, the case yeah. that there were irregularities in the vote counting, like they stopped counting the votes at some point, pause? What, what yeah, happened? They, they did. They did. They stopped counting in the middle of the night all the votes because apparently they thought they were being hacked. And then the next morning, the candidate won. Well, Even then didn't he, he get attacked too? He had he had some kind of somebody attacked him with some kind of acid or something that they're talking about, and he they started feeling sorry for him a couple of days later, and that's how he ended up getting in. Uh, no, no, it it was done. Look, they used the whole Russia hacked the elections, and they had the get this, Patrick. What's funny is you know how it happened. They said that someone had the trapdoor keys. The trap doors in the election machines. Oh, that really? someone had, yeah, they said Russia had the trap door keys. So I think it was releasing the blocking the inability to to to, to fine tune the algorithms that were in there to distribute the votes fractionally to who they wanted. And that's why they stopped counting. I mean, if someone reads it, you, you get it. You know what I mean? And they scrubbed the Internet. I've archived most of that stuff for my case. Let's uh, let's talk about more. A little bit more about what the the substance of uh, what laptop. is. Say again. Were you going to say? I thought you were going to say the laptop. Yeah, the substance of the laptop or the substance of the Mesa County. Can we talk about Mesa County? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want to. Yes. Yeah, this is a big deal for the people who've said, "Where's the evidence?" Which I think is getting silly because there's evidence at the mathematical statistical level. There's been evidence at the grassroots affidavit level and every level in between, and there's a mountain of evidence. But now we have Mesa County, Colorado, where a, uh, a, the county recorder, whose job is to protect the re records of the county, got word that she had to open up the machines for Dominion 
to come in and do a trusted build and update some application software. And the Secretary of State ordered the county recorder to make the, the machines accessible, which was not normal. These things are supposed to be 22 months. They don't get touched. But, and she suspected that the technicians were going to do something untoward. And she caused a licensed white hat cybersecurity guy to come in and take a digital image, a before image. Then the technicians came in and the goons from Secretary of State came in and they worked on it. And after they updated that little, just the application program, they said they left, they took an additional image before and after, and they sent it to the professor emeritus of the Department of Computer Science of Texas A&M, as well as another guy, but both of the collectively 80 years in the cybersecurity field, very high-end guys. And they can't, their report just hit hit the world. And their report is, yeah, first of all, as we expected, it was a complete smashdown. They completely wiped out election 2020. They committed a million federal crimes in doing this. They wiped out all the data from election 2020. It can never. So that's and created a fake election on top of it. And it, they didn't just update this, the application software. They did a massive rewrite. And that's a huge crime. But what's interesting and is getting overlooked is so that's when you compare the before and after. But if you just look at the before, in other words, the original image of the hard drive, they also found something very important. They found that that machine three days into the election counting, which was around October 24th or so, somehow a new election database got opened up on the machine, which should not have happened. A new election database got opened up and preloaded with 29,000 votes, 29,000 ballots that can never be established, got mushed into it, and the old one erased. So that's all wildly, so that the whole election is unreliable, all kinds of hanky-panky. It starts off with 29,000. By the way, there were 230,000 votes ultimately cast, and this is basically Grand Junction, Colorado, and environs. And 230,000 votes, 29,000 got fed into what's especially interesting is the writers of the report say no one in the county would have had the technical. It's not an easy thing to do. No one in the county would have had the ability to do it. It either came in from a hack or there was some Easter egg buried in the machine that some some that woke itself up or got woken up and woke itself up and it did this. It created a new election database, wiped out the old preloaded with 29,000, blah, blah, blah. That could have all been preset to occur within the machine. And if that's the case, it means no elections that were run on not a, if the machine came from the factory that way, it means no election that was run on that brand of machines can be counted on. And that's 28 states or something. Maybe uh, something simple though, like in Kentucky. Right. In Kentucky, the company that was running the heart inner civic machines was also running the county networks. It could just be that the contractor that facilitated the networks for Mesa County was also in bed because they would have the capabilities of doing that. That's a that's a that's a that's something that people should look at because that was the M.O. in Kentucky. That the company that was running hard could have been somebody else. Yeah, it could have been somebody on the outside hacking in or somebody, but nobody in the county had the sophistication to do that. What's going on clearly around the country? And here's a nice way to summarize it. 
is citizens are taking back their elections because we farmed these out. I mean, government has been running these elections for decades. So we thought government and volunteer Americans on a, you know, on a, what do we call it? Americans elections run on a honor code system. Well, but government has been forming more, taking more, more and more of its function and farming it out to third parties, to subcontractors. And so now it's really not the government and citizens running elections. It's a bunch of third party contractors and activists. And what the Gableman report shows from Wisconsin, it's some lawyers who work for an activist uh, Soros or Zuckerberg fund sitting in a hotel room with running the wireless routers and stuff to run the election, which makes it, it was completely illegal. It makes it completely insecure to have one of the parties in the election running the election. Uh, and, and so what's happening around the country, how an honest journalist would write about this, is these are all efforts now we're seeing for citizens to take their elections back. You know, these are our elections. These are our elections. We never have to accept some government puke telling us we ran it and it was good and you just have to trust us. That's tyranny. We have to be able to inspect. There has to be able to be transparency. We had no idea that as we started to fight for transparency, they would put up mountains of roadblocks. Geez, it seems to me all my life when the other side wants to look into anything to do with elections, I've never heard of anyone being stopped. It's complete. Everything's got to be completely accept, accessible and it shouldn't be otherwise. But for some reason, for the first time in my life, when this side, the pro-freedom side, is saying we have to go look into what happened in 2020, I no one had any idea it was going to be this difficult. It's it, the, you know, not the pro-freedom side. It's a uniparty, Patrick. You know that. Yeah, it's, it's the people. Mm -hmm. So it's really the people against the uniparty. It's the people against the uniparty. The uniparty wants to say, we ran these elections fair and square. You citizens don't get to take a peek, to which we have to say that's tyranny. The day we have to accept elections and we can't look into them is the day democracy is over. So the, the people are all over the country. The people are demanding to take their elections back. And that threatens the uniparty. Yeah. Um, the Agatha Christie comment, you keep dropping all over the place. And I know you've been saying first week of April and Tori, you're probably familiar with what he's talking about at this point. Can you offer anything prior to whenever the planned release date of this or clues to it? And I, I know it has to be something that we we found out early on. There's something that you're all going to remember, but realize you forgot. You're all, you realize that forgot. when something comes out, you're going to realize that back around the election, something happened, some little detail you forgot about, that turns out to be the clue that unravels it all. And that's coming, I think, in mid-April. Doesn't get us any closer, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, well, Come on. Throw them a line. I'm not. That's your news. I'm going to. No, we'll just have to keep it. It's uh, we'll just have to keep that under wraps. We've kept it under such wraps for 12 months and now we are ready to. I think I have my own speculations what it is. So I'll just keep those to myself. Um, okay. so Rather than get people rabbit holes. Right. But yeah. I wanted to say something on these election things, even in Maricopa. Right. It was completely infiltrated in the sense of their attempts. You know, I actually heard that. Um, and Doug Logan went into bankruptcy. Do you know why they came at him? Because he wouldn't release the list of the volunteer names. That's what they want. They want to publicize who volunteered for the, the risk. Yeah, yeah. they, they the want. 
Yeah. They started charging 50 grand a day saying we're going to find you 50 grand a day until you turn over. Yeah. But the weird thing is, is instead of going after his corporation, now they got a judgment against him and his wife in his personal pocket. And he's doing this to keep the volunteers names out because they will come after them. You know how that is. Once their names and a list of names is released and he's refusing to give it to the judge and they're coming after him because he won't reveal who volunteered for the audit. I mean, this is a really sad thing, the way they come after people really hard. But speaking of election stuff, right? You know, it's not just at the ballot. I, I'm going to say I, I ran for secretary of state. I'm going to be on the ballot in November. Like they excluded me from the primary, but they actually colluded. They broke laws and didn't care about it. And you know what sucks? That nobody talks about that. Corey got on the ballot in, in Ohio for secretary of state, had the easiest time getting, didn't get your 3,000 signatures like that. Yeah. And they were all valid. And then they went back to the counties and said, you need to, you know, get rid of her. Um, You need to invalidate her petitions when the counties aren't allowed to do that. That's against the law. So she got she got on the last morning. They left her off the ballot for secretary of state, but she's gone to the Supreme Court of Ohio to get back. Well, I did. And the Supreme, no, the Supreme Court of Ohio, I got reamed by one of my other attorney friends. Why'd you do that? He didn't let you do them. I'm Going another direction, which I don't want to talk about until I do it, but I'm getting on the ballot. I, the law is on my side, so you just have to sometimes do things. And this, for me, going into the Supreme Court a second time and getting a certain, you know, a you know, unanimous thing validating the violations of law and saying, well, they can violate the law because they're the secretary of state. Like it was the most ridiculous decision. Like they were saying version of facts. You have your version of facts and they have their version of facts. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't talk about versions. I'm citing the law. And when you see the Supreme Court talking about versions of facts, you, you know, your country's in trouble. You know, your country's in trouble when they're citing, when you're citing code and law and they're talking version of facts so it's it's okay i'm fighting that and i'm going to keep fighting it because election integrity doesn't just happen at the ballot box it it starts from the beginning and how they organize themselves but you all know how ohio's going oh, yeah. well the register right the voter re- the voter registration rolls turn out to be they turn out to be garbage they're they're doing canvases and last i heard in pima Arizona, which is Tucson area, they were doing a canvas. And in Arizona, they were using private detectives who are, they're bonded in Arizona. They can give court testimony and such. And they, uh, these private detectives were doing the canvassing work in Pima and finding 35% of households have discrepancies. Like there was literally one fraternity with 27 people voting from it average age 45 and they went by this fraternity and not a single person recognizes the name of any of the voters but there's 27 people voting from the fraternity uh they're finding this kind of thing you know houses with 20 people voting for them with one bedroom house that kind of stuff all over yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. And then when you see in 2021 uh, from the battleground states and even the state of Ohio, the secretary of states went to a meeting to discuss how they can combat, um, you know, anyone speaking against election integrity. Like, why would your secretary of state go to a camp, 
you know, to see how they can shut you up if you're questioning elections. That should terrify everybody. Yeah. Right. When they're having these conversations, it's terrifying. But um, you wanted to talk Ukraine, right? You know, why don't we talk about Ukraine and the effects that it had in Louisiana, right? The dealings that are in the Hunter Biden laptop with the Kazakis and the Chinese for LNG down in Louisiana and Monkey Island. Nobody's talking about that. How the former mayor of New Orleans. Fill us in. Fill us in. Yeah. Well, well, that's it. That's it. They were, there were some friends of Hunter's that were in Kazakhstan. And they were talking to people that were going to build housing for the people that were going to be working the LNG facilities in Monkey Island in, in Louisiana for the Chinese for CFEC. So we've got multiple countries making money on exploiting our gas and energy for the Chinese. And the, the, the people that were running Louisiana, governors, AGs, you know, secretary of states, mayors, all involved in that. Their emails are all over that. And then what did we get into the art? The president brought that up in his rally about the art. I have an article actually archived for months that I haven't published. But the thing is, this art isn't just, you know, people will be like, whatever. It's money laundering. We've got Christie's money laundering. And a, a lot of the data that um, uh, was deleted, like you had said, Patrick, in an interview that Hunter Biden deleted a lot of the stuff. It was the money laundering through Sotheby's where they're auctioning off art. I can put a candle that I burnt out and used on my desk and call it art and you pay me and it's legal. This is how you pay me shenanigans. This is the elite way of laundering money. You put a painting with one splash of paint and someone says, all right, it's worth half a billion dollars. Here you go. And you get a paycheck for selling a blob of paint. But that was actually a payoff. That was actually laundering money back into you legally. But that is why the artwork is important here. It was a money laundering. And that's and guess, you know, I'm well, just saying. Has I'm another role in, so what you just described is just a hidden bribe. You're using art to disguise a bribe. There's another way in which artwork is used to launder money, which is to launder money. You need things where the value of something is uh, unclear and ambiguous. And you can start layering in your dirty money into the clean money flow. And anyway, so art is used in that way, too. But in Hunter's world, it's used for, yeah, they're paying him $60,000 yeah, yeah. for a little piece, you know, a little watercolor. <laughs> That yeah, actually, it was, I'm told that as far as art goes, it's not like it, at least it's not a like an eighth grade. It's not like my art. Like they say, the guy actually can do a watercolor. So it's not like laughably bad, but it's a uh, you know it's not worth seventy thousand dollars. That's all the payoff. Well, well, the key the key here that nobody's talked about, and I'm working on it so that I can give it to Garrett, right? Because he's working hard to make this a detailed report. Is Blue Mercury? That was actually a Sotheby's Chinese thing. This is how, guess who was getting the money on that stuff? Who's interested in Blue Mercury? And if people have the laptop, they can search that Blue Mercury. Who? Which is weird. Yeah. Obama is a collector of that. I'm telling you, my two goals I have, right? What have I said? One, clear my name and make it known that people like me do actually exist. And two, impeach 44. Because, like I said, Hunter didn't get a lot of this money. Biden didn't get a lot of this money. There were more people getting this money. And, you know, and since Obama was putting him in the front of all of these countries where all these shenanigans were happening, that's a big deal. Oh, and another thing. 
there's people like Brian Cates who claim that, um, you know, the investigation into Hunter started in 2018. That's wrong. Patrick Ho got busted for doing things in Ghana and Africa, right? His associate in 2017. That's when there was a criminal investigation started in January 2017. Guess who was involved in that stuff in 2014? Dr. Jill Biden with Hunter Biden in Africa doing these bribes. The criminal investigation started in 2017 after they discovered that Patrick Ho had dealings with Hunter Biden. And this Patrick Ho guy did a lot of legwork for the Bidens, went to Iran and did deals. I have his whole passport data, all of it. And it was made public in that case. That's when they started the investigation on Hunter. The laptop was just an extra topping to it. They were going to get to it at some point, regardless. So this thing could literally take down all of these people if people done correctly. Yeah. It's not just that it should take them down. It's it's parallel to what happened with me when I sort of took on Wall Street. In 02, I was leading a company that went public. And by 04, I was aware of how a whole bunch of crime was occurring. I've been asked to take part in some of it. Some of it I figured out for myself, paid attention, sussed out, some I got asked to take part in. So I really had the lay of the land. And I went to the federal government and tried to direct them to it. And I just discovered that the federal government, it was in the, it's, it's owned by, it's a subsidiary of the people I was trying to get them to look at. It's a subsidiary of the financial elite. So ultimately I had two, two fights. That Wall Street fight was really two fights. One was the engagement with Wall Street, but one was the work in Washington and what I learned about Washington by trying to work with forces there and exposing and bringing in whistleblowers and stuff like that, how much I learned it was corrupt. Similarly, the corruption displayed by the Hunter Biden laptop, while profound, that's sort of one issue to be taken care of here. The other issue is, when did Uncle Sam have, I don't even want to say Uncle Sam, because Uncle Sam's a good guy, but when did the federal law enforcement have this? And when did they... Uh, decide not to do anything about it. And why did they decide not to do anything about all kinds of grievous things that are in there? In fact, I've got a lot of questions along that line, why they decide not to do things about, I've been investigated six times by the feds, maybe seven in my life. They all come to nothing, but Jesus Christ, you have no idea. And, and I am so compliant when they ask for emails and everything, you know, I go to great lengths to be super compliant. And I mean, if you knew how much of my business life was spent thinking about, Oh, not breaking a law anywhere, making sure there wasn't any law being broken anywhere. These guys just march around and break everything and nobody seems to give a shit. I have no idea why I spent so many years of my life worried about breaking the law because it turns out you don't have to worry. If you're in on their game, you don't have to worry at all. These guys are just scoff laws about everything they do. They're scoff laws. Why do the rest of us spend so much time worrying about the law when you have people like this in charge? Yeah. So the, the real the the point is what's going to come out of the Hunter Biden laptop is not just the underlying criminality expo- exposed, but really how corrupt the system is in Washington to let this stuff persist. Yeah. That's- well, they knew they knew before the laptop. They knew before, uh, you know, uh, the 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 whole thing. I mean, the cartel stuff that he was into. You know, uh, I I actually put an article together where I piece together a chain of emails that over a year, Hunter Biden was smuggling foreign criminals over the border to meet Joe Biden and Obama. 
right? And it's it, it, it's email chain with Vadim over a year where they went down to Chihuahua. They were talking with the cartels, right? I wrote about it. Bombshell report. Nobody reported on it. Nobody reported on the fact that I put it in a timeline. You can't even miss a beat like one by one, starting from when they started the conversation, how they're going to get him into Mexico, how he used his sources to find out that he's not allowed to travel to the U.S., how they colluded with Secret Service and Border Patrol to get this guy through and then go golf at the White House with a sitting president and vice president. Like this is real stuff smuggled. And, 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 and this is before the well, a lot of real stuff. There's a lot of real stuff in there. (laughs) And it's like, nobody talks about that. And it's like, okay, like Patrick said, why are we following the law? I mean, even Eric Coomer got busted, busting up a window. What is it? A a storefront with his car drunk. Daniel, may I interrupt for a second? Daniel, you have, I know that Tori and I get going. Uh, I want to make sure we're covering the questions you had in mind. Oh, these are all great. It's covering everything I wanted to and more. Um, my next thing was going to be, and I know we only got a few minutes left, is since this is now, you know, they, they, they say the laptop is real. Uh, what are they just, are they going to just 25th amendment him or what, what are they going to pull him out? And then we're going to get stuck with Harris for the next two years. I mean, what do you guys think is the, is the next play for this? Because it's, I, you can't sustain this much longer. I think the New York times conceding that it's real. And did I hear they also conceded Ashley Biden's diary is real? Yeah, they did. They actually called me on a Sunday morning trying to charge me with the task of having had that physically in my possession first. Well, they. uh, um, Let me just say something while you collect that. I think I'm pissed. I'm looking at the writing on the wall and people are going to throw Hunter Biden as like the mastermind. Look, he's a high functioning crackhead, but there's this guy named Eric Schwerin that did all the money dealings, every single bit. I can't find a picture of this guy, definitely agency who was running all the money. So I, I'll be very upset if they just hang Hunter for this. No, and blame like him a, for that. Hunter's nothing. Hunter. Yeah, I mean, I, he's not, he was just the front. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's, not even the bag man, but he uh, I think that they're hunter that the New York Times coming out with these admissions is prelude to something big and that something big uh, could well be taking down. There's no way he, Biden can survive. If the hunter thing is no longer squelchable, then then Joe can't survive. So I could see something like a 25th Amendment, but it is very significant. The New York Times, after 18 months, came out and said, yep, I guess it was true after all. You know, I know I let's not forget all the news organizations that treated the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation based on zero evidence, based on zero evidence. And then 51 intelligence professionals. That's basically a list of the deep state. 51 intelligence professionals signed a letter saying this was likely Russian intelligence. First, anyone who's looked at the laptop knows it's not Russian intelligence. It's disinformation. And uh, every that tells you how deep the deep state goes. That 51, practically every intelligence official you could name, signed a letter that was false, and they knew it was false, in order to help get elected the person they want to get elected. These aren't, this is so far from the days of the decades ago, the days after World War II, when we had real heroes stepping up and building our national security apparatus. These are just the, 
the thing that was most feared would happen back in the 1947, 1948 has clearly happened. And that is you've got a bunch of political weenies take, had, had taken over the intelligence services and 51 of them signed a statement they knew to be false and for which there was no evidence, for which there was no evidence whatsoever, just in order to try to protect one candidate in an election. So that tells you those are our political, those are our intelligence people. Those are the that, those are the people running our intelligence services. Yeah, those, yeah. those agencies need to be broken up and done away with. Yeah, I, I, I was I, I was running around Times Square a year ago with the Hunter Biden laptop, just showing it to people. Right. Just showing it. I was like, here, peruse the emails. Look at what you want. You know, here it is. This is the laptop. And nobody reported on that either. A lot of people were just like, I'm not touching it. You can't get in trouble for something that has a chain of custody. Like people are like, oh, I don't want to touch it because I don't want to get in trouble. How are you going to get in trouble? It's been publicized. It's been released to the public. It's public. Period. I have can't more get- journalist excuses about why they can and can't cover things. I'll tell you. Can I tell you a funny story? I'm working with ProPublica now, and I might as well come out and say it. I've been working with ProPublica for about three months I don't know why, because they promised a guy named David Bach Clark said that he was going to do a monster analysis of the election integrity movement. The thing the public's been waiting for, not just the superficial this to that. So for three months, I've, I've talked to the guy, I've answered his questions, brought him in deep, you know, on Antrim, what, what the report said, what the Michigan rebuttal said, what, uh, why their Michigan rebuttal was false. This Mesa County stuff. He has the Tina Peters stuff, the details, details, so he could understand this better than anyone. My God, the 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 way I accommodated this guy in the last three months, and they now ProPublica is coming, is about to publish, and they've let me know that what they're publishing is that they've decided that this whole election integrity question is baseless, and it's basically just a movement that I got started with my money. And I said, well, how are you going to handle things like the Gableman report? How are you going to handle things like, uh, you know, Garland Favorito? And that came out and, and how are you going to handle the decision of the, of the Michigan court of claims about the, the unlawful actions of the secretary of state that created 2.6 million ballots. I'm going to handle all this. And the answer after much consideration is basically, we're just going to leave it all out. We're going to leave all that evidence out. And we're going to take the position that we looked into a couple of these claims from early November 2020, and we didn't think there's anything to it. And we're just going to say we've looked into the claims and decided that it's all baseless. So we looked into Italy Gate, and we looked into the stories of a South Korean jet with ballots on board, blah, blah, blah. And since there was, so they've picked a couple, like one or two incidental peripheral stories from November 2020. And they're going to make that the story as a way of avoiding dealing with any of the actual evidence. That's the state of journalism. And that's ProPublica, which is supposed to be like the Columbia Journalism Review, setting the standard. And instead, that's the state of journalism. So to your point, Tori, it's kind of funny dealing with journalists uh, uh, that they know, like there's one, a female I was talking to last night, that it's clear between us. She knows she knows she's on the wrong side. She knows she's involved in a cover-up. At some point, she clearly understand she's not being intellectually honest. She's in a cover-up. And so I, you know, I was finally just asking questions. It's somebody I've known a long time. I won't embarrass her if I mention her name, but let it, asking, say, what would be evidence? What would you count as evidence? If this, if that's not evidence 
And if they may sick out, what would be evidence? And you can't get an answer out of them. They just got to, you know, did you go into journalism to, to, to do cover-ups like this? When you dreamed of being a journalist as a kid, did you want to be in the position of doing cover-ups? Obviously, you know you're in a cover-up when you're playing word games like this. Uh, but I didn't ask you that because there's almost no point. These journalists know they're actively know they're covering up. What do you think it is? I mean, are they that left wing? They think it just doesn't, or what do you think their mentality is that they work as journalists? Uh, okay. I, I, I don't know. Tori, let Daniel talk. Let Daniel talk. No, I, 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 I just, I don't know how these people can sleep at night. I really don't. I mean, you, if, I mean, it's lie after lie after lie after lie. I mean, how, I mean, how do you keep track of it? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, unless, the, unless they're brought in, to to mockingbird media and they got to sign a contract and they say hey you got to you got to write whatever we tell you to write i mean they do they do let me say something and patrick might be upset that i say this so i'm warning you patrick so one thing i'm going to plug my documentary as you know that i've been working on we're going to be putting that into a film festival because i want the left to see it so enjoy the show. We'll actually touch upon why these journalists do it. So that's number one. And this is what I'm going to educate the mass public on as to why these journalists are acting. That's why I told you so, Patrick, didn't I? Told you so, told you so, told you so. But that's not what's going to upset you. Let me tell you something. One thing that I, I learned throughout my whole life is that you follow money. And what I saw after the election uh, on election day was, you know, I saw this amazing AG from Kansas, Phil Klein, right? He's he's the juggernaut. I love him. He came down to D.C. and he had money and everyone started to flock to him. Two key people in our election fraud investigation that I'm not going to name yet were flocking to him like flies on poop. Right. He got whiff of it because he's a really smart guy. Cut them off. But while he was ready to cut them off, these two people that came for money, then Patrick comes in. He's like, yo, I'm willing to risk my whole livelihood here. We're going to fix this because he saw improprieties that he knew he could have avoided. He keeps kicking himself in the butt saying that by coming out. Now, he couldn't have. But what happened was these two people then latched on to Patrick and took very high control of that movement. So it's always about the money. So Are when people I know that you're willing to identify. Yeah, I can tell you that in private because I don't want to say it in public yet because it's still currently pending under investigation, not by federal authorities, but by the people that were interacting. So there were two big names that attached themselves to Phil Klein. Um, obviously, I could talk about Spooky. Me and him got into it, you know, Schaefer, because he had the guy with the truck. And I went up to, you know, Phil and I was like, why is he telling you to find the truck? We don't need the truck. You're getting off on the top. No, no, Corey. I'm just saying that's what happened. They cut them off. The minute Phil Klein cut them off, you stepped in. So Emma saying that you ran this is is a lie. She should be paying attention to the fine yeah. details. Emma's who not came into Tori, I can tell Daniel has something he wants to interject. We're up to the 90 minutes. Oh, no, wait, wait, can uh, you, can I, I was just going to say we're up against if you guys wanted to offer up some kind of encouragement here, I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm of the opinion that, you know, we, we still got to fix 2020. Oh my gosh. Well, Emma just sent me the ProPublica. Oh my God. I responded to that one too, Patrick. And I told you so not to I talk like to Emma. 
Emma's the best of them at the post. Yes. Okay. It's not Emma, but it's ProPublica that said Public that it was. just came out with something frontline plot to overturn the election and plot to overturn the election. Frontline and ProPublica trace the hidden sources of misinformation about the 2020 election. Yep. It's kind of funny. One of the first things I said to them was, well, you have to understand that this idea of that, that there was a team of people who, like when they first contacted me and they wanted to talk about the, the attempts to overturn the election, I said, well, really, I want to be intellectually honest. That's kind of begging the question. We don't see this as overturning an election. We see the election says this and other people have have overturned it. We need to expose that. And if you just so from then on for three months and all their communication with me, they've never used that word. They've always would, you know, they, they've always maintained this paradigm. You guys are challenging an election and we want to understand why you're challenging the election, blah, blah, blah. And now they come out with their piece and it's plot to overturn the election. Yeah. So why did I waste my time? Why did I waste my time, Doug Bach Clark? Doug Bach, anyone with three names. Doug Bach Clark uh, is the writer on this. And it really is. Uh, it's it's getting silly. They, they literally, in the communications where I'm saying, well, how do you handle this fact? How do you handle this Mesa County? You know, computer scientists have now studied these two things. They come back with things like, uh, well, we haven't had a chance to study the complete chain of title on the before image. So we're not ready. We're not going to say anything because we're not, you know, we're really not sure because we haven't, you know, they're just getting, they're so, it's not even being selective. They're just being silly. So the mainstream media. Yeah, but I told you that, Patrick, because ProPublica did a hit piece on me in 2016 when I came out and said that they're registering people after they sign their DMV things in Kentucky, if you don't fill in Republican or Democrat, they automatically put you on the Democrat thing and how they were registering illegal, you know, aliens that have no right to vote. They could be legal here. And they flipped it around trying to call me a Democrat. And I'm like, no, I just didn't declare my my thing on the thing because they filled it out. Look, 10 days later with the evidence you showed, they've tried that because I've been talking about this forever, forever. And I reminded them that in the questions they sent me, Patrick, I told you that they were going to do this. I mean, you know, and, and, and this is how it works. They, they 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 don't work for the people. They don't work for the information they work for the regime. They're trying to obfuscate the truth. They're obfuscating the truth. Yeah. Uh, they're, okay. they're just an extension of the regime that wants to maintain power. If we want to talk coup, why not play on repeat the videos of Maria Stefan talking and saying we need to have a federal coup? We got to do this federal coup. They were saying this before the election. That's the left. Well, it's a coup against the people. Yes. Okay. So we've gone on long enough. What yep. do you. Yeah, you guys have been extremely gracious with your time, and I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, if you want to take 30 seconds, offer some encouragement with all of this wonderful stuff we're dealing with. Well, I think the full truth will be exposed (coughs) really over about five weeks. And where the end of that is the release of Dinesh D'Souza's movie, 2000 Mules. It's a hell of a movie. It's going to be very powerful. There's more information coming out between now and it. And no thinking person will be able to deny uh, that all this information was, is out. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, for, for me, I just want to say, you know, we know Durham is working. I know a lot of people were like, are you sure over the years? Right, Patrick? Because you've said that to me, too. Um, yeah. Justice is slow, right? Justice is slow because they go one level and it has to be thorough. So that's number one. But one thing that we can appreciate is that if all of this didn't happen, nobody would be seeing it because election fraud has been around for a very long time. People forget that we had one of the biggest election frauds and a complete theft in 2004 that everyone seems to ignore. And it has the same darn players and the same darn MO. Here we are almost 20 years later, 17 years later, they pulled the same rabbit out of the hat and we're, we're pretending like we don't know what we're doing. And, and that's what hurts. But I, I think it's, it's just like what Eisenhower did. He took everyone down to Auschwitz to see all those places. So that way they don't forget. And I think this torment that we're going through as a nation is important so that we see it and we don't forget. So if in the future, we're ever confronted with taking down monuments and erasing history, we've got word of mouth to say, don't forget. I, I, so it, it, the truth always comes out, you know, the, the light of truth never blows out ever. So I'm, I'm confident on timeline. We'll just have to see that's out of our hands. Sure. All right, guys. I really appreciate you guys coming on and spending some time with me. Uh, We'll do it again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Daniel. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, Patrick. Bye, Daniel.